Welcome back to the AP World History Podcast, and we're going to be diving into our last unit here uh, with Unit 6, looking at chapters 20 through 23 in the Strayer book, and uh, we're going to be diving into the World Wars here uh, for uh, this set of podcasts. Um, we're going to start looking at World War I, uh, then we're going to try to combine the Great Depression and the rise of fascism into one. That's going to be a little bit... Um, uh, of work there that might be a longer podcast and then we're going to look at world war ii which again is going to be a little bit longer so this is probably going to be the shortest one that we have here uh but uh it's all going to be great information uh we'll try to keep it as short and quick as we can and um it it should be fun so uh world war one uh let's set the stage a little bit beforehand uh remember we just got uh, done looking at the scramble for Africa. Uh, European powers are looking to uh, claim as much land as they can. And uh, by uh, 19 or yeah, 1904 to 1909, uh, pretty much all of Africa is gobbled up. Uh, and most of the world seems to be gobbled up by the Europeans. So there's nowhere else to really look to uh, vent this aggression that they have, this rivalry that they have between each other. And so now the Europeans are going to start looking at each other, uh, and uh, this is where we're going to see conflicts starting to rise uh, in Europe. And um, the the biggest thing is that uh, you you have four. I shouldn't say the biggest thing because there's there's four or five reasons why the um, why World War One happens. Uh, first one is alliances. Uh, then uh, you have um, nationalism, you have a militarism, and you have imperialism. Those four things lead to then the assassination in uh, Sarajevo, Sarajevo, I can't say Sarajevo, uh, of Franz Ferdinand, uh, who's the Archduke of uh, Austria-Hungary. Uh, that leads to his assassination being the thing that sets off this whole war. Uh, but let's talk about those four things a little bit. Um, one, alliances. Uh, there are a bunch of secret alliances made. Uh, today you can see alliances uh, fairly clearly uh, with uh, especially kind of the ones that the U.S. is in because of NATO or the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. That'll come up after World War One and is in response to making sure secret treaties don't happen anymore. Uh, but all these initial alliances that we're talking about here were secret. And... Um, I honestly don't know. I, I can't say whether they were open secrets or not, but uh, many people knew that, okay, so if I go and fight these guys, then it's going to draw these guys in and these guys in and, and, and whatnot. So they kind of knew there would be a chain reaction, uh, but they the scope of it wasn't known that it was going to be so much that uh, it drags all of Europe in and then the war is going to be as bad as it is. Uh, so the two sets of alliances you have are known as the Triple Alliance and the Triple Entente, not to make things confusing, uh, but... The Triple Alliance will also be known as the Central Powers, and that's Germany, Italy, and Austria. Uh, Italy, though, let's uh, kind of set this off from the beginning, uh, is a part of it, but we'll back out of that alliance and we'll eventually join the Triple Entente. Uh, and the Triple Entente will be known as the, um, the Allies um, from the Russian, British, French, and American perspective. Uh, <coughs> so to replace uh, Italy... Uh, the Ottoman Empire comes in, as well as Bulgaria. Uh, these two aren't really good enough to really make a huge difference on this, uh, because really the only major power in this alliance is Germany. Everyone else is declining or isn't uh, isn't really significant. Uh, Germany or Prussia, as it was known at the time, was the major power, and 
uh, is the reason why this war, um, the, why the the triple on or the triple alliance isn't just run over from the start. Um, then uh, you've got the triple entente, which is the Russians, the French, and the British. You might want to put the Americans in there, but they we the Americans tried to stay out of this as much as they could. Uh, they saw this as a European conflict and that they needed to stay neutral. Um, and so we'll talk about that a little bit later here. But uh, that was their goal to stay neutral. And um, so you have these three sets of alliances. And as soon as one of these people's allies gets hit and a war is, is conducted against them, their ally is going to step in and, and fight. So this brings all of Europe into, into conflict. Um, <coughs> or it's waiting to bring it into a big conflict. It doesn't necessarily start it. Uh, then... Uh, you have nationalism and nationalism we've seen from the French Revolution that continues to build of all these different regions saying, hey, we are the best. We are this unique group of people and uh, we are better than everyone else. Uh, this is especially true for why the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand happens, uh, because the Serbian nationalists in, in the region didn't want to be taken over by the Austro-Hungarian Austro Empire. And so they uh, they were trying to make themselves independent and join uh, at least the people living in Syria, some of the Serbs living in Sarajevo wanted to uh, be in the Serbian um, uh, state or, or uh, country, but they weren't allowed to because they were part of that uh, empire. And uh, so you've got nationalism going on. And then you got militarism, which is the building up of arms. So you've now developed new technologies. You use the Maxim machine gun everywhere, and you've built a strong navy to protect your colonies. And you keep building these up because you want to protect your uh you want to protect those colonies but also you want to protect yourself from the other europeans and all the other europeans you're looking at are going like well they're building arms so then we got to build more arms and so you just get all these uh you get this militarism that rises up with everyone wanting to have the newest and best equipment and um try to take each other out so uh one of the really cool things though to to bring up with this is we see a lot of new technology come out in this war um we're going to see uh, submarines, the first time of them being used in significantly. Uh, they were around before. They were used uh, They were all the way back in the Civil War, uh, even some designs possibly in the American Revolution, uh, but nothing too significant there. Um, then uh, we're going to see um, tanks developed, not right away, but uh, you're going to see the first uses or major uses of automobiles uh, in warfare. You're going to see airplanes being used in warfare. You're going to see poison gas. You're going to see machine guns being used against machine guns. And these aren't going to be just the maximum machine guns that you had with the crank. These are full-on, full-auto machine guns. And we're going to see barbed wire being used. And this is all going to lead to a lot of casualties when we dive into World War One. And then the last bit is imperialism, which I talked about with the militarism part. Um, you had all these people going and gobbling up all these resources or all these um, regions to gain their resources. And now the, that those regions also bring you more people to put in your army. So we're going to see this. The reason why it's a world war is because not because the fighting happens in, in Europe, but it will take a place across the world in the empires, uh, in, in the colonies throughout the world. But also those soldiers are going to come into Europe and fight for the Europeans, especially when this war becomes really long and, and dragged out. So <coughs> those factors are what lead to the war happening. And again, uh, the, the uh, straw that breaks the camel's back is the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria, uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, and so uh, when he gets killed in 1914, uh, Austria-Hungary Austria attacks or declares war on Serbia. Serbia is backed up by the Russians, and so um, they come to aid Serbia because they're both Slavic groups. 
Germany or Prussia told Austria-Hungary that they would back Austria-Hungary in this. And so they then declare war on Russia because Russia declared war on 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 uh, Austria-Hungary. And then that causes France to declare war. And then um, the Prussians declare war on, actually declared war on France before France could declare war, but they knew France was going to declare war on them. And so then they go and attack, and they attack through Belgium, which then bra- drags Britain in because Britain said, we're not going to fight. And then Belgium got um, put in this. And then Italy stayed out again because they said, well, this wasn't a defensive war. It's, you were, you're making an aggressive war, Austria-Hungary, so we're out. Um, and the U.S. also tries to stay out. And eventually you'll see more and more countries joining either side. Primarily they're going to join the Allies side as they see things start to, to shift over time. Uh, but um, this leads to a long, uh, bloody war. Uh, it'll go from 1914 to 1918. And uh, no one thought it was going to last this long. They're all like, well, we're going to be back by Christmas uh, because we all have these new guns and stuff. But no one had used the Maxim machine gun against someone else that had the Maxim machine gun. And they were still using tactics from the Napoleonic era. Um, when you get into the American Civil War, you're going to see um, these new or these old tactics causing huge amounts of casualties in the American Civil War. And that's without machine guns and stuff like that. So now you see those tactics being used with, with rifled uh, guns, uh, with, with uh, new weapons, new artillery pieces that are more accurate, uh, hit from a longer range and all that stuff. Um, you're going to see a lot more devastation here than what, what you'd see in the American Civil War when you look at that. So um, it's, this is going to be a long, drawn-out, and bloody war, much worse than anyone anticipated. So when it lasts four years, uh, everyone is kind of shocked, um, and uh, it, it doesn't lead to uh, anyone being really happy at what's going on. Um, so... Uh, the book doesn't go into a lot of the different battles and stuff like that, uh, but some examples of these long battles. Um, well, actually, maybe I'll, I'll go back a second. So, um, World War One is defined by uh, a style of warfare known as trench warfare, where uh, both sides develop trenches or dig trenches, and they dig lines of trenches behind the trenches, uh, and it becomes this networked web uh, of trench work to protect people from artillery and everything else going on. Um, and so soldiers are pretty much living there. There isn't much gaining of ground, uh, from one day to the next or one month or one year to the next, uh, pretty much all the gains you see come right at the beginning. Uh, the Germans shock the French and push almost all the way to Paris, but the, uh, Parisians or the French using their, uh, vehicles and everything else, uh, get soldiers out to the front lines just in time to stop that push and almost knock them out of the war. Um, and that's, that's what we're going to see a lot on the Western Front is after that, it stays still. Uh, you have uh, month-long battles uh, like uh, Verdun, the Somme, Passchendaele, all these where people will fight day after day and gain 100 yards one day, then lose that the next day, and then lose 50 yards and then gain 100 yards the next. And really, there, it's a stalemate. Nothing really happens. So that's on the Western Front. So that's between uh, France, the British, or British and France are pretty much, or the French are pretty much fighting there against the Germans. Then on the other side of Germany, you've got Germans fighting the Russian. And trench warfare doesn't really take place there because the Russians are so ill-prepared and think they're just going to be able to run over things. Uh, They aren't industrialized. We've seen that as an issue beforehand. Uh, They only partially do it. And so uh, you've got soldiers going there um, with, with just a gun or with just ammo or with nothing. 
and uh, you see organization just being terrible, and this is going to lead to the revolution that happens in in um, in Russia in 1917, uh, just how poorly it's, it's set up by Tsar Nicholas II. And uh, so fighting over there is much different. Uh, we see the Russians occasionally being able to push back against the Prussians. Uh, they do a really good job pushing against the Austro-Hungarians, who are also a very weak uh, empire, uh, military-wise and whatnot. Uh, but, uh, when Prussia gets their back into it, they start pushing and there, there isn't much that the Russians can do to stop them. Uh, a few counterattacks here and there, but again, um, they, they push, uh, the Russians until they drop out early in 1917. Um, and so, <coughs> sorry about the coffin, uh, but, this this war doesn't change really and uh, how it's fought or what happens into it in it until um, the U.S. gets involved. Uh, the U.S. tried to maintain itself in neutrality as much as it could, uh, trying to prevent uh, anyone from dragging them in. They actually tried supplying both sides. They supplied the Allies and they supplied the Central Powers. Um, but eventually, uh, the British blockade gets put up around Germany, and the Allies can't. Uh, can't uh, supply Germany anymore, and so they just supply the Allies. The Germans see this as a problem and uh, subscribe to a tactic which everyone's using at this time called Total Warfare, which is uh, use all your resources you can and uh, kind of take out uh, however you can. If there are casualties in the way and stuff like that, if civilians are going to die, uh, so be it. Um, if they're in the way of the war and that's stopping us from winning, then then that's that's their issue, kind of. Um, so they go to these total war tactics, which the British and the French and everyone else was doing too. And they start targeting American supply ships. This is where you get the famous sinking of the Lusitania, uh, which uh, puts the U.S. on edge. And um, uh, you also get something known as the Zimmerman, Zimmerman telegram that drags, uh, that says Germany wants to, uh, Mexico to attack the U.S. to keep the U.S. out of the war. Um, Mexico wants no part of that because we just uh, ran through their country uh, during the Mexican Revolution uh, that happened earlier in this century. And uh, so we try to stay out until submarine warfare or unrestricted submarine warfare is brought up again and they start sinking our ships again. And we go, okay, well, we're, we're joining now. And so, <coughs> so we join and we, we decide um, that under General Pershing, uh, who becomes our, our commander, uh, he says, we're not playing by the rules of the rest of Europeans. We see this, we saw this play out in the Civil War. We see what's been going on here for the last few years. And so we load our people up at a few different strategic points, and this is where you get battles like uh, the Argonne Forest, um, and, oh, I should remember some of these other ones, but I can't remember it off the top of my head, and I don't have them in my notes there. Um, but uh, you get these famous American battles, um, where uh, the U.S. just throws all their soldiers at it and they overwhelm the German forces and then they're able to maintain it because uh, we haven't been worn out and worn down through this war uh, because uh, a lot of the young soldiers, the, the ones that would have had a lot of fight and the spunk and all that stuff, die early on in this conflict because, again, of the, the tactics that are used and the continual tactics that are used. So uh, a lot of the war being fought uh, by the end of it is a bunch of older older men uh it's not the young anymore 
uh, although they're still young being drafted consistently, you, but you see a whole generation lost because of the millions of lives lost in these battles uh, that happened before, like Verdun, Somme, and Passchendaele, where you have these long offenses that go all over a, a wide range instead of uh, at a, at a center, center point. And uh, so... When the U.S. joins, uh, it came just in the nick of time because Russia backed out and the Prussians were beginning to mobilize. Everyone onto the Western Front, and uh, it's not enough to stop the the pressure from the U.S. Uh, the U.S. has fresh forces and whatnot, and so uh, they they eventually help the Allies win this war. And uh, by 1918, uh, the Germans are saying, "Hey, we've had enough." Uh, Kaiser Wilhelm II, who was the king or the uh, the Kaiser of uh, Prussia has left the country, and um, the war is essentially over. It won't be until 1919 that things are finalized, uh, but armistice will be signed on November 11th at 11 a.m. Um, in 1918, uh, which essentially end, ended the war. And uh, some long-term effects of this, this war are going to be disillusionment. Um, we're going to lose uh, traditions, um, especially some uh, patriarchal traditions, uh, because uh, women had to go working. Uh, they had to go work in the factories when the men left. Uh, they had to, um, uh, because of this, they, they got to fight for the right to vote, and they have a legitimate reason because they were being a major player in, in making sure things happened. Uh, you have a class system being uh, a little bit more mobile now because, uh, well, you lost a huge chunk of uh, the upper class young because they were the officers that led the soldiers into uh, the conflicts and whatnot. Uh, you also have a rise in consumerism because people have more money from the wages. Uh, soldiers have money that they can go and spend on it, and women have money now, and it's their own money, and they want to go and spend it. Uh, we're going to see this build up even after uh, World War II. Um, and you get a new international order with things. Um, a new international organization comes about called the League of Nations, which is a major failure um, that... Uh, was uh, something that Woodrow Wilson, the American president, called for, but uh, was never anything that the U.S. joined because uh, the U.S. wanted to, again, stay neutral, not be dragged into anything. And without the U.S. weight, U.S.'s weight behind it, uh, it made it very difficult to make it uh, successful. And so we'll see that eventually leading to uh, being one of the reasons why World War II happens. Um, we'll also see uh, Prussia get knocked down a few pegs and, and kept from being a, a major world power. Uh, we'll see Russia drop out uh, and no longer have a monarchy. Instead, we're going to see the rise of communism there. And so there's going to be a red scare that goes across the world about, oh, no, the communists are taking over. They're going to ruin capitalism and all that stuff. Um, and, and that doesn't really happen. But uh, we'll also see uh, a couple new states come about, Poland and Czechoslovakia, based on the concessions uh, that uh, Germany had to give in the Treaty of Versailles. So, um, and that's the, the Treaty of Versailles, the treaty that ends the war. Um and uh, the Germans are humiliated in it. They get blamed for the whole war, even though they weren't the ones that started it. The, the people to blame would be the Serbians and, um, and, and the Austro-Hungarians because they're the ones that actually start the whole thing, although Germany did back them. Uh, but the whole reason to blame Germany was to make sure they couldn't rise up again. And, again, this is going to allow things to fester for, um, uh, for World War II. Um, you're also going to have... Uh, the Ottoman Empire fall apart. They chose to be on the central powers. They lost the war. Uh, their whole empire gets divided up, and so the Ottoman Empire is now gone in 1918. Uh, at the end of that time, though, you have something known as the Armenian Genocide going on, uh, where uh, 
uh, a couple million Armenians are killed throughout Turkey uh, because Turkey wanted to make Turkey just for the Turks. Um, and uh, what else? Uh, colonial powers of, um, or the colonies that Germany has, they lose those. And um, they're limited in what they can build militarily on top of other concessions like the lost land and things like that that led to Czechoslovakia and Poland being created. Um, it also disillusioned people going outside of that um, uh, that it disillusioned people in, in whether war was good. Um, I already said that, sorry. I'm repeating myself and, and going through things a little bit uh, too much. Uh, but uh, one kind of final thing to, to leave off with here um, will be that uh, for the colonies, for the, the, col uh, the colonial powers that, um, or I shouldn't say that, the soldiers that fought in it, that are coming from their colonies back, or went from their colonies to Europe to fight and then back, uh, see how the Europeans are living, seeing what kind of lives they have, and they're going, why, why don't we have this? We, we just fought for this with them. Uh, we're also human beings, and we should have this stuff. And so we're going to start to see from there uh, pushes for independence. Uh, and so in some areas like South Africa and India, you're going to see it a lot stronger. In other areas, we're not going to see it until after World War II. Um, but uh, this is World War I in a nutshell. Uh, it looks like we went a bit longer. We're about 21 minutes. I apologize for that. Uh, but this is some hefty stuff that we're kind of going through, so this is going to be a little bit longer a week on these, so I apologize for that. But uh, we'll look at uh, the, um, the Great Depression and uh, the falling of democracies to fascism um, next.